without saying. Well, you know, um, I was uh, praying about what to uh, speak on today, and I, I was recently at a conference, um, so I get to a few conferences, you know, um, over a span of time, usually at least a couple a year, and um, been to all sorts of conferences, lots of Baptist ones, of course, also been to Hillsong conferences, to C3 conferences. Well, a week ago, I went to an ACC conference, got a few ACC friends, and uh, fantastic conference, really, really enjoyed it, lots of, lots of good uh, teaching there. Um, my topic today is going to be a little bit influenced by the conference. I've titled this message, A Shaking Leading to Revival. A Shaking Leading to Revival. Um, the state director of the ACC Church is this Matt Hines. And um, Matt, uh, like often in the conferences, it's the kind of the, the host pastor, so to speak, who starts the address. We did the same when we were at Crossway. Stuart Robinson, senior pastor, would start on the Monday night and then you'd have your visiting speakers over the next two or three days. Uh, Matt opened his address, um, emphasising the theme of the conference. The theme of the conference was go, based on this scripture, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Their big emphasis was go. It's time to refresh this calling to go and make disciples. He went on to mention that um, the ACC churches have become very polished. Their movement has become very polished in the way they do services. But he's saying we're getting weaker and weaker at mission. We've got to turn that around. And he, he emphasized that, um, you know, uh, this the average person sharing the gospel, leading people to Christ has got to become a new priority. Uh, he emphasised too, um, it was mentioned that the percentage of children and youth coming to their movement has dropped a little bit. Um, he said that we've got to get back to the fundamental principles of evangelism and praying for revival, praying for revival for Victoria. And you know, one of the things he did, which was very interesting, he'd asked the worship band to do a whole bunch of historic revival hymns. So we started with a big kind of usual upbeat number and then four hymns I kid you not four hymns and uh, I mean obviously they did them really well but these were classic songs that were sung in great movements of God historically in Australia and he was in a sense he was trying to say we've got to get back to these roots we're a nation that's experienced revivals in the past this state of Victoria's experience we need to get back to those roots seek God for revival again oh, I, I must admit my my heart was resonating with him. <laughs> and he even used the old-fashioned word. He said, we need to become soul winners again. Soul winners. That's the sort of word that Charles Spurgeon would have used in the 1800s. Soul winners. What does he mean? We need to win people's souls to Christ as individuals, not just evangelists. All of us need to be thinking, God, what can I do that I might become a soul winner? Well, one of the other uh, speakers was uh, a prophetess lady. I've just forgotten her name, actually. But um, she, she gave a great word. And uh, her theme was, there's a shaking. There's a shaking going on. And, um, of course, we, we know that here in Victoria, we've, we've, we've had some challenges. We've had some shaking going on. You know, we've uh, had the most severe lockdowns in the world. You know, our state has the biggest debt of all the states by far and we as taxpayers we're going to have to pay that back you know it's us that get affected by that 
So many businesses have fallen over. So many people in Victoria are doing it tougher financially than they've ever done it, you know? So it is a challenging time. We've been shaken up. But you know what her point was? This. Number one, the shaking is an answer to our prayers. The shaking is an answer to our prayers. And her emphasis was this. She said that the thing is, that without this shaking, we're not going to see a mighty move of God. We've got too complacent. We've got too comfortable. We need to start to realize, hey, we need God. We need the Lord. And it's been interesting. Just after that conference, of course, there was something that was a, a surprising event. Our state premier, Dan Andrews, resigned. I was quite shocked. I didn't think he'd be resigning anytime soon. Um, but I know for Pentecostals and evangelicals, a lot of them will say, gee, that's a big answer to prayer. <laughs> Let me read about shaking from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth. God's voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The word once more, uh, writes the author of Hebrews, indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things. So that we cannot, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Understand what the, the author there, I, I believe it's Apollos actually who writes this book. He's saying that, look, there is going to be a shaking. The created order is going to get shaken at times. Our economy might get shaken at times, but the kingdom of God and his purposes are not going to be shaken. That is not going to be shaken. You know, the scriptures, um, they often have accounts where shakings lead to positive things. Think of a time where Paul and um, Silas, they were arrested, thrown in prison. Pretty nasty moment, you know. Um, let me read the, a little bit of the account, 1625. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, such a violent earthquake, that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Got the picture? It's, um, they're, they're in this whole cold, dark prison, chains on their arms and legs, extremely uncomfortable. They're trying to make the best of it. They're, they're singing praises to God, and then there is this earthquake, great shaking, and then supernaturally. Their chains just fall off and they're free. The shaking led to freedom. This was another point from the prophetess. She said, first the shaking, then the outpouring. Speaking about Victoria, first the shaking, then the outpouring. Let's look at a passage that we see exactly that. Think of um, Peter and John. They'd been... Um, taken into custody by the temple guards and they were whipped because they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus, whipped. Well, they let them go after that severe beating and let's pick it up when they come back to the other believers, 431 of Acts, 430, sorry, 423 of Acts. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
When they heard this, this is the gathering, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise, rise up and the rulers of the earth band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, shaken. And they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. third point and final point from the prophetess was this the outpouring brings transformation for mission the outpouring brings transformation for mission and we certainly see that here in this passage they had that incredible prayer meeting so extraordinary the foundations even shook and then what did they do they went out and preached the word of god boldly they engaged in mission uh, another key, the keynote speaker of the, um, the event was not an ACC guy. He's an evangelical chap called J. John, Canon J. John. He, I used to listen to him in Britain. He's a British guy, great evangelist. Um, there were occasional comments that he looks a bit like Mr. Bean. He, he does sometimes when you get the right angle. Let's have a look at him. This, this one's not the best Mr. Bean picture, but I think you can tell you get him in the right angle and he's wearing the right clothes. He gets a little brown suit on. I reckon he could look like... <laughs> he's so funny too. He's a real comedian. He's an absolute laugh, but very anointed. Great man of God. Great evangelist. Um, he tells a story. Many stories, but one of the stories I'll share with you. When he was in Sydney, back in the 80s. Uh, he's been out in Australia off and on for many years. He came to Sydney, invited um, to speak at a big campus event at the University of Sydney, the main U University of Sydney. And... Um, and, he, and he's preaching the word of God, and I'll tell you what, God was moving. Students were coming in there, thousands, to hear him, and hundreds were getting converted. It was a wonderful move of God. He said, look, you can, he, he actually used the phrase, I think you could actually call it a localized revival. It was such a move of God. Let me tell you the story of one of those people. He preached his first message, and at the end of the message, having talked with a few people, this very sour, angry young lady came up to him and basically said, your sermon sucked, totally disagreed with it. And uh, he said, would you like to go out for coffee? <laughs> okay, she said. <laughs> so they did. And they sat down and he said she just vomited out her anger and hatred towards the church and Christianity and how it was so wrong and hypocritical. And Well, she came back and listened to him again the next day. And she came up to him again and told him his sermons was crap, absolute rubbish. He said, do you want to do coffee? She said, oh, all right, all right. <laughs> she did coffee again. And she vomited out of her anger and hatred again. Different stuff this time, but more of the you know, similar stuff. 
did coffee a third time. This time she poured out a heart of hurt, brokenness, pain in her life. By their fifth coffee, she gave a heart to Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is her, Christine Kane. You may have heard of her, Christine Kane. Let's put up a picture. She is now an evangelist herself. She made a commitment to Christ, then God started to grow and use her immediately. Remarkable testimony. Um, she's been greatly used by the ACC churches, travelled all over the world, preaching an evangelistic message about the reality of Jesus. His point was this. He said that, you know, I'm a travelling evangelist, sure. But the story I've just told you, you can do that. I'm just sitting down having coffee with a girl, an angry girl, a girl filled with resentment, bitterness. And yet, a few coffees later, she gives her heart to Christ. You can do that. You might not travel the world preaching the gospel. You might not be a preacher, but all of us are called to be a witness. Anyone can do what I did with that girl. And just think, the person you might lead to Christ, they might be that travelling evangelist preacher. Uh, we heard a bit about Billy Graham before, didn't we? Um, Billy Graham had a friend who never was a preacher, but when Mordecai Ham, travelling evangelist, was coming to town, he said to Billy, Billy, um, tell you what, if you go to these meetings, you can drive my truck. And Billy was wanting to learn how to drive. And so Billy faithfully sat in that truck because he wanted to drive, but because he went to several of those meetings, he eventually gave his heart to Christ. And so this bloke's mate, who never was um, a travelling evangelist, already, he just was a witness to Billy Graham and then leading Billy Graham to Christ because he got him to the meetings. Billy Graham, of course. As we heard just today, you know, a huge meeting there at the MCG with the grand final. Billy Graham had nearly about 40,000 more people than that. They opened up the grounds, biggest crowd still on record at the MCG. <clears throat> J. John challenged us by saying this. He said that most Christians and most churches know there are three important areas in the Christian life that you could sum up with these words. Worship, let's pop this up, worship, well-being and witness. Worship, well-being, and witness. He went on to explain what he said. So, well, first of all, worship. We know we want to come in to the church type of environment. We want to sing songs of praise to God. We want to develop our relationship with God through the word and through prayer. We know worship's important. Secondly, he said, well-being. We know well-being's important. We need to be in good relationship with one another, develop friendships, pray for each other, be close, and try and, you know, develop um, better in internal skills, get rid of our anger, try and forgive people, all that. We know well-being's important. The third thing that actually we do know is important, we need to be a witness. We need to be a witness. And then he went on and said this. He said, most churches and most Christians spend 95% of their time on the first two, 5% on the last one. He challenged us and said, you know, both from pulpits, both from the organised stuff from church and for the individual, all of us should be actually a balanced Christian that spends about 33% on each of them. One of the other prophetic words uh, spoken at the conference was um, the three R's. It wasn't reading, writing, and arithmetic. No wonder kids can't spell the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Where's that come from? 
Um, but these three R's were firstly revelation. There was this, this idea that um, God, this spoken out, that God is going to be bringing stronger revelation to individuals in Victoria. We're going to hear his voice better. We're going to start hearing him better, what he's saying to us. Secondly, he's going to bring reformation. The churches are going to start to shift things up a bit. They're going to change their classic way of doing things now. They're actually going to start shifting things a bit. There's going to be a measure of reformation in churches. And finally, this will lead to revival. Revival in Victoria. Now, I'm happy to embrace those prophetic words. They actually resonated with my spirit there, as I think they did with most people. You know, um, a chap called uh, J. Edward Orr, he passed away in 88. Um, he was a well-known traveling evangelist and revivalist for many years, especially known back in the, you know, the, the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, he's very well-researched too. He has a PhD in evangelical church history of the world. He writes a whole bunch of books on historic revivals, including one called South Sea, Evangelical Awakenings, which includes a lot of stories of what God has done in the past here in Australia. Let me tell you one of those stories. You know, he, he's a funny guy. He says, um, sometimes, because he used to visit Australia quite regularly, he said one of the things he would sometimes find at his um, conferences, um, he'd have an Aussie come up to him and say, Reverend Orr, why isn't it that dear old Australia has never experienced a revival? And he'd say, well, you ask that question because you don't know your own history. Australia's had an extensive journey of revival. There's been many revivals in Australia. But the, the challenge is, I think, that the Brits and the Americans have been very good at publishing books and recording revivals, and they've often been bestsellers. Many of our books that document our revivals are out of print, you know, and uh, it's quite, you've got to dig around. In fact, that one I'm going to quote from today, mate, that's out of print. You know, I got it from the Bible College Library. You can't buy it except a second-hand one, perhaps, and they want 100 bucks for those because they know they can get a lot of money for them. There's not many around. <sighs> Let me tell you about um, something that happened in the, um, in the mid-1800s here in this nation. Australia's population in 1860 was approximately 1 million people. That's the whole country. Pretty small back then. I believe this movement started, really, with what happened in 1857. There was a conference of ministers. And as the ministers got together, they made a covenant with each other. And I'll, I'll quote the actual words. This is what they wanted. They were all seeking a richer baptism of the Holy Spirit. They all had decided together, we're going to seek a richer baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they promised to pray for each other. And they promised to get active. They decided they would start revival prayer meetings on Saturday nights in their churches. So they did that. Well, that was the beginning of it. Within a couple of years, there were united prayer meetings organised throughout all of the Australia, Australian colonies, to quote. So right throughout Australia, there were, were revival prayer meetings going on within a couple of years of that, all over our nation. Let me quote. Let's, let's, let's have a look at Sydney. A religious editor, a slide for this one, a religious editor in New South Wales noted, let's have a look at this, quotes, it is said that in some of the places of worship in Sydney, 
The prayer meetings have become so thronged with an attendance so unwantonly large as to indicate a movement to some great design of God. In other words, he was saying that these prayer meetings in Sydney are so well attended, so crowded, this can't just be an organised thing. God must be in this. I'll zero in and, uh, oh, and by the way, just to give you an idea of who was holding all these United Prayer Meetings, Anglican, Baptist, Congregational, Methodist, Presbyterian churches, and they also had interdenominational ones at the YMCA. So that's where the meetings were going on in Sydney and actually throughout Australia. Let me zero in on one uh, revivalist, John Wattsford. He's a Methodist guy. Um, he was um, posted in Goulburn, you know, in New South Wales. Goulburn had just become a new municipality. It was about to become a small city. In 1859, he's holding a series of meetings and in his memoirs, he records this. When the power of God came mightily upon the people. It was a great move of God in his church and it affected the whole town. Well, people in uh, Sydney heard about that and said, you need to come to Sydney, come on. And uh, so, Burke Street Sydney Methodist Congregation organised a district meeting. The church had been praying for an outpouring of the Spirit. He records the first night he went, the church was crowded, and the power of God came mightily upon the people. Fifty people gave their lives to Christ. I'll actually record exactly his own words of what happened the second night. Another quote. He preached the next night to a congregation which packed the building. I preached from quench not the spirit. What a time we had. The whole assembly was mightily moved. The power was overwhelming. Many fell to the floor in agony. And there was a loud cry for mercy. The police came rushing in to see what was the matter. But there was nothing for them to do. It was impossible to tell how many penitents came forward. There must have been over 200. The large schoolroom was completely filled with anxious inquirers. Let me explain a couple of those words. We don't really use them today. The penitents were those who come forward to an altar call. And here they come forward, um, often weeping and kneeling and, and trying to get their lives right with God. And then the practice was uh, either in a, a neighboring school hall, which it was in this case, or another part of the church. They then all go to gain instruction of thoroughly understanding the gospel and the idea is they either join that church or they're, they're connected with wherever they normally might have some sort of association. That was the pattern. Well, there was, this was a classic example of what started to happen in Sydney. There was a great outpouring in 1859 over Sydney. Let me quote here from the scriptures. And my thought is this, if God's done it before, he can do it again. Here's a great revival scripture, Psalm 85, 6 and 7. Let's have a look at this scripture. Psalm 85, 6 and 7. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Great memory verse for revival. Well, let's slip across a moment to Adelaide. In 1861... Pastor Silas Mead, probably one of Helen's relatives, I reckon. Um, 
He, he planted the Baptist church in Adelaide. Just, just 26 people. And, um, but God was moving all over Australia. And they just caught, saw consistent growth. Just 20 or 30 people saved each year. You know, within 10 years, there are a church of over 400 coming along. Just good, solid growth. And that was going on in Adelaide. That was pretty consistent. But there was also places where God was moving in extraordinary power. Let me tell you the story of, again, John Watsford. He got a call across from New South Wales in 1862 um, to take on Perry Street Methodist Church in Adelaide. This is a big building. Methodists tended to get more money than the Baptists did for the build their buildings from the government. Uh, big place, 1,300. And um, the church, when he started there, shortly afterwards, it became so crowded, Sunday by Sunday, they had to conduct evening meetings. So every night they had a service. And every single night's recorded, people were giving their lives to Christ just consistently, night after night after night after night. And this went on for a long time. Um, and then they thought, look, let's, uh, let's go further than this. So every noon, they had a prayer meeting. Every single noon, a uh, daily prayer meeting. And their, their big theme was they wanted to pray for revival, not just for Australia, but for the nations. And they did that every day for six months with a couple hundred people or so attending that. Goes on to say, the people in the church, I'll quote this, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, whether school teachers, whether leaders, whether those sharing the word of God, those doing any sort of ministry, all those just coming along, people were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, perhaps for us, most importantly, let's bring it across to Melbourne. You know, um, Reverend Orr in his book says that in Melbourne in 56, 1856, there was a real pessimism about the future of the churches here. Um, it was partly because a lot of people were leaving Victoria at the time and chasing after other new gold fields. And because of that, that population leaving, the churches were kind of suddenly, oh, we've lost all these people, you know. And it was this feeling of pessimism had swept many of the churches of Victoria. But three years later, that was all to change. The revivals began in Brighton, 22nd of May, 1859, here in Melbourne. To talk about that particular thing, there was an extraordinary local movement, and it began really with the testimony of individual believers had given their lives to Christ in a, in, a, in a deeper way, and God had really moved upon them. They were sharing their testimonies around churches, and God started to move. The services were marked by the cry of distressed souls, and the services were held every single day in those churches. Well, it didn't take long before it spread to Melbourne, heart of Melbourne. Melbourne churches were being impacted, and so they decided most of the Melbourne churches held a prayer meeting every single night. Prayer meetings every single night, and phrases to describe those prayer meetings, and in fact what was starting to happen all over Victoria, deep searchings before God. A revival of God's work has broken out. Revival services, full of the holy, holy zeal and fire. Well, they didn't just leave it with the, with the revival prayer meetings. Uh, they wanted to make sure evangelistic endeavor was taking place. And one of the things that they did is the theaters were rented out every Sunday evening and there were evangelistic meetings going on. Let's have a look 
for instance, at the Theatre Royal. Here's an old shot of it. It's a big venue, 3.3, uh, so 3,300 people um, can have a seat, but actually they can squash more in than that. Um, that building was packed to the absolute brim every Sunday night and hundreds of people coming to faith in Christ. And in just 12 weeks, 12 meetings, they actually had 50,000 people came through the doors. That meant that probably each time they had about 800 had him having to stand. They couldn't get a seat. They were just squashed in. Mighty move of God. Hundreds of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me talk for a moment about how, how did it affect the denominational growth. Well, let's just zero on the Baptist for a moment. You know, the Baptist churches, they were a pretty new movement here in Australia. They only had seven churches right across Victoria. And here in Melbourne, the Baptist churches were tiny. They were struggling. All of that changed with the 59 revival. I'll zero in on one of them. The minister, Pastor James Taylor, Collins Street Baptist. Well, they were compelled to pull down their church building and build a bigger one. They had, by this time, 424 formal members. So it'd be more than twice as that many coming. They had 267 Sunday school pupils as well. Well, they rented one of the theatres for about six months and built their new building. And rapidly, the Baptists started to plant churches. Only seven, but within a few years, they planted another 20 across Victoria and more in Melbourne. Let me give you a formal stat here. Over seven years, 1857 to 1864, the church's formal memberships across denominationally increased by 88,000 people. 88,000 in that seven years or so of revival. Wonderful, wonderful. And, um, and we've got to say, that's just the formal membership too. It was bigger than that. That's just the formal membership. Now, to try and get your head around this, with Australia only being about a million people, if that happened just in Melbourne today, what would it mean? It would have mean about 440,000 people coming to Christ in seven years. 440,000 in comparison, if we're a city of about five million. I mean, this was a mighty move of God. Wonderful thing. And, you know, God kept on moving. Over the, next, um, over the next few years, revival continued for a few more years. But even then, it did the ebb and flow thing. And there were other really significant moments. One of them was, I, I, I think, when um, Thomas Spurgeon came to Australia. That's Charles Spurgeon's son. 20 years of age. Decides, I'm coming out to Australia. Travelling evangelist. God accompanied his preaching with great power. And he didn't come to visit. He came to stay. He was here for 16 years and God used his ministry mightily. The good old Baptist benefited from that. <laughs> uh, friends, let me just uh, go back to this uh, scripture. If God's done it before, he can do it again. If God's done it before, he can do it again. Why don't you stand up together and let's sing. Uh, sorry, let's speak out this psalm. We will sing in a moment too. Let's speak out this psalm together. Can we read this together? Psalm 85, 6 and 7. Let's read it slowly. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. One more time. Let's read it again. With faith. Will you not revive us again? Well, I'm believing a shaking leading to revival here for Victoria. 
I might call Sue. Come forward and pray for us, Sue. Father, we just thank you for your word that you've heard, we've heard this day. And we receive your word in our heart, in our spirit. And we thank you that you stand behind your word to perform it. We thank you for your Holy Spirit in this place, but also when we go. Holy Spirit, bring this to our remembrance. Bring this, breathe life to this word in us so that we not only hear it, but we do it. We thank you, Lord. We so hunger for your will to be done in Melbourne, in Victoria, in Australia, in the world, in our personal lives. Thank you, Lord. Breathe on us this revival so we walk in it and live it. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name.